podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Buzz Podcast. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined once again by Mr. Trev Downey. How are you, sir? I'm good, my friend. Looking forward to this one. Uh, looking forward to this being a feature for the rest of the season. Because like we said, despite the fact that we had a recently happy occasion, uh, only yesterday evening talking about a Reds win, it's always nice to have something other than the football to chat about. And uh, we have a belter this evening. We do indeed. We do indeed. So today, we're going to talk about the Banshees of Inishiran 2022 masterpiece by Martin McDonough, which is basically set up to run the board at the Oscars in terms of, you know, best actor, best supporting actor, best supporting actress. The cast is phenomenal. The film itself is phenomenal, and it's up for a bunch of awards for the film itself, not just the performances. So let's dig into this, Trev. This is a film set at the tail end of the Irish Civil War in 1923 on the fictional Irish island of Inishirin, taking its... um I suppose it's inspiration from the Aran Islands. Um, it's two friends, one of whom decides he doesn't want to be friend with friends with the other man anymore. And it just proceeds from there down a road that you don't really expect. And for me, I, I didn't know what to expect because before watching it, I'd read some of the reviews <laughs> And I'd seen some quite negative reviews about it, which I was very, very surprised by, given, you know, many of the actors had been nominated for major awards. But upon watching it, I was blown away. I thought this was I thought this was a phenomenal film. I'd love to just pause it there because, you know, you've gone into the into the plot there and that in and of itself is going to lead to several uh Several interesting areas of chat, but the first, the first, my first takeaway, my first question is having seen it um, very recently, um, because I didn't get to see it in the cinema, so I, I watched it. I actually, uh, old school went out and bought it on DVD, me still being without the wherewithal to, um, view these things, um, via the various methods others have. Um, and then I watched it again, um, because it was that bloody good. And my question to you, Dave, just back before we get into anything about it at all, in terms of why we thought it was good um, uh, or, or or justifying our enjoyment of it, is what do you think it is that people didn't like? Because that was, this This is what really was, I, I found myself asking that question. So the answer I'm going to float, and you see if you agree with this, is that nothing really happens. And the minute I saw the title, uh, I was, I knew it was going to be in my happy place because I'm, I'm a massive fan of McDonough's plays. I've read mm. them all. I've read them all. And they're all fucking mental. They're mental stories about desperate people living humdrum lives, just sort of occasionally spotted by extreme violence and horror. And there's always darkness lurk, lurking in the background and always comedy lurking in the foreground. So I thought, Okay, I'm going to be in my happy place. The minute I heard this movie was coming out and the title of it, I said, this is going to be great. Uh, this is going to be right in my, my happy place. But I'm wondering, do you think that's what it is? That, that, that that's the very thing that doesn't resonate with some people, that they just go, well, I want a more kind of linear plot. I want a good guy and a bad guy. I want a, a Hollywood ending. Is, is that where the, 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 the negative reviews came from? I think so. I think a lot of people watch films and kind of want some sort of gratification from it. They want some sort of big moment, some big expose, some plot twist, 
some sort of, I don't know, some sort of Michael Bay explosion. I don't know what it is. Like, it's an odd thing where this film is just mostly about life and it's about life on on an island, a time and a place. And you, you really have to, you have to accept the when and the where with this film. This film is set on an island off the coast of Ireland in the 1920s. So life would have been quite humdrum, quite day to day. There wasn't anything that was ever going to be hugely exciting. You can see it in their sort of like at this point, the civil war is going on in Ireland and the residents of this Ireland are almost nonplussed by what's going on. Yeah, they don't don't seem to understand that there's they're like basically oh are they still fighting? They are, yeah. And and Collie looks across the, the, the water at one point and goes, you know, um basically God love you, God be with you kind of thing, or, or best of luck to you, I think is what he says. Mm. Uh uh another stage um, uh, his sister comes in and says there's anything in the paper and he just goes, yeah, the civil war and she just goes, ugh. You know, and it's the, the detachment that they can have because they are quite literally remote. And I think as well, man, I don't know what you think, but I think as well the fact that we are from where we are really helps us. And, you know, you listen to McDonough and he was born and raised in London, mm. but God, he has an ear for the local dialogue, the local dialect, of, 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 in a way that, you know, I was, I, I came through looking at English literature and Anglo Irish literature is a big interest of mine. And I'd read J.M. Singh plays and they were like, like the Playboy of the Western world. And they're supposed to be, uh, authentically Irish. And he was supposed to be brilliant at capturing authentic Irish language. But it's pure paddy wackery stage Irish. Yes. This, this is different. This has the genuine essence of what it's like to have a chat. Two owl chaws going, uh, I, I, I'm going to chat and, are you? Yeah. This kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? This kind of like sarcastic, bitter, always looking for the cut and remark stuff that is, you and I were steeped in it because we're mm. from where we're from. Maybe that really helped us enjoy it more. Definitely. I mean, the thing with, with McDonough is, yes, he's, he's born and raised in London, but his, his mother's from Sligo and his father's from Connemara. So I always think that the further you get from Dublin, the more authentically Irish things become. Anywhere, once you get even beyond the pale, things really do start to have a much more, a much more authentic Irish feel to them, be it the conversation, be it the way of life, that more slowed down, you know, take things as they come approach, putting things on the long finger, never getting too flustered about anything. When you get closer to Dublin, I think things are much more rushed and people are in more of a hurry and everybody's a lot busier. And I think McDonough, in terms of, you know, having his parents, obviously the primary influences on him growing up, being from the West, and then they obviously, they move back to the West in the 90s so whenever he's going to visit them he's spending a lot of time in Connemara in different parts of Galway getting attuned to what it's like to be in those areas and you mentioned the plays and I think the first five or six of them are set in Galway 
and he, he definitely does have this great affinity for the area and this this genius way of capturing what it is to be from the west of Ireland, what it is to be authentically Irish. And like you said, it's not that kind of hokey jingoism that we get with, with people that might kind of fly over and have a glance at it. This is someone steeped in that way of life. And in the darkness, Dave. And yes. this is this is what makes it most authentic, because another part of being from where we're from, and especially the more rural places, I, I remember, you know, as a guy who's who's a, a, a rural mead man going off to the Gale Talk when I was 15 uh, and spending some time uh, in Carrow, right on the on, in Galway, right on the edge of the of the country, right there, hanging out over over the the uh, the ocean, and then later on again doing a stint in the Aran Islands, and uh, later on again doing a stint down in Kerry. And one thing that united all the people who were my peers who were from that place was they could not wait to get the fuck out of it, Dave, because there was a darkness about it, a heaviness about it that I had a sort of romantic touristy notion about even as an Irishman um god isn't it beautiful here I still have it man I still have it I'm, I, I've spoken to you about how I look at uh Column's gaff here and I'm going that's exactly where I want to live now like this minute that's where I want to live I want to up sticks I want to move myself out there uh and struggle to grow potatoes uh right beside the Atlantic Ocean that's exactly what I want to do in my life but these people who are from that area they were immersed in the darkness, the hopelessness, the despondence, the bleakness, the despair, all of these things that categorize the central character of Brendan Gleeson in this. The guy who is just, he is just mired in darkness. He cannot get out from under this darkness to the extent that he's willing to take any sort of ridiculous course of action to, 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 to in some, some way leaven that or, 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 or brighten up this despair and despondency. So, I mean, McDonough has that in each and every one of the plays, like A Skull in Connemara uh, is is a particularly good example. But any of the Lean Ann trilogy, you've got these people who are just, there's a darkness, Dave, that's just so beautiful. And it, he he has captured it in his films as well. I mean, I mean, um, if we're being perfectly honest, the probably the best ever outing for, for Farrell and, and Gleeson is in Bruges and mm. none more dark, man. None more dark. It's no. it's a it, but it's a genius film as well, and it's got that that humor that you mentioned earlier on that's in the foreground, but that darkness is very much looming in the background and yeah. and engulfing uh, at, at certain points, and it's very much the same in this, and even you know Seven Psychopaths, the the film he made um, with somewhat of an ensemble cast. It has that as well. Like it has this, this darkness and this lunacy that runs through it, but it's done with humor. And I think that's where McDonough, his real genius comes is, is being able to marry that dark message and that dark feeling with humor so that the film never feels too heavy, yeah. even though the subject is heavy, even though the plot is heavy. He's able to, he's able to float it to you because of the humor. And it's, it's easier for you to, to appreciate what it is that he's, he's telling you in these stories. 
and it's credit to that cast, isn't it? Because you like if 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 we were to actually just strip it back to what the actual story is about, and this is not like there's no spoilers or anything like that, but you've got a background there where the topics of uh, uh, depression, sexual abuse, uh, desperation, and loneliness. They are kind of the central things that are driving at least several of the main characters, um, if not all of them, in some way, shape or form. They're all touched by these darknesses, um, really, really kind of bleak realities. Mm. But you have in the, 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 the cast members that you mentioned there, people who are able to communicate that darkness really well. And yet give you these kind of gallows humor laughs at the same time. And it, it's that line that you're talking about that he walks in all his movies. And I think this one is the best example of that because like I say, <laughs> you peel away a little bit of the surface there, uh, of the, you know, are ye rowan type lines and underneath it, like, I mean, what is it that's got Brendan so upset if it's not like pure heavy, darkness and depression of, of 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 a really horrible horrible sort the character of dominic who to me actually is kind of like 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 the fool in 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 lear he's like he's going mm. around talking shite but he's the wisest of them all by a mile he's the most insightful of them all by a mile um and you know like the the, the heaviness of what he has to deal with as a character um some would say it's possibly even i don't know maybe diminished by the use of the humor i don't know if that's the case for me it came across as suitably weighty but also i was glad that there was that sort of like i say gallows humor there that we could actually navigate the subject without being dark maybe that's another very irish thing dave is it 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 might be i mean the thing is you've got you've got four main characters in this film you've got Colin Farrell's character, who is, you know, a simple man who sees life as just day by day. This is what, you know, the life I have is the life I have. I've accepted that life and I'm just going to live it the way that it's to be lived, the way I've seen my father live this life, my grandfather live this life. This is the life you've got. Brendan Gleeson, who's obviously a far more complex individual, but he's got a a despair about him, and he seems to have given into that despair. Then you've got Kerry Condon's character, who's Colin Farrell's sister in this film, and she, as with a lot of Irish families, in areas like you mentioned earlier, you would have siblings where you know, one of them wants to stay and work the land and, and do the traditional thing and carry on family traditions. And other another will want much more than this. They want to be the one to get out and go. They want more. They know there's better out there somewhere and they're willing to go in search of it. And then there's Barry Kilgan's character, Dominic, who kind of has that same despair and, and sorrow and misery to his life as Brendan Gleeson. But we know where his stems from. Yeah. But he still has that youthful hope and maybe naivety that his life can improve, that maybe he can somehow get himself 
out of this. He knows he's not the smartest lad. <laughs> he knows he's not, you know, got much of an appeal to anybody. But he still has a hope that maybe somebody sees something in him and, you know, will want to be his friend, his girlfriend, whatever. He hasn't lost that hope yet. So there's, even though they don't really interact in the film, Brendan Gleeson and, and Barry Keoghan, there, there's very much a similarity between their, like they're, they're, they're at different ends of, of the same journey, basically. And Kyogen still has the hope, whereas Gleason's hope is gone. Yeah, and he is the classic tortured artist type, right? Mm. So he's he's got he he's like a lot of men as they get older who have either status or wealth or talent. And they start getting obsessed with legacy, right? And he's he's he, he just wants his simple pal to shut the hell up so he can have a little bit of peace actually he puts it very lyrically just a bit of peace in me heart he says to uh to Kerry Condon's character and you know you can understand that right and she goes off without saying anything inferring that she can which is why she wants to leave as well um and and it, 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 he's he's like this classic tortured artist so you can kind of understand where his motivation is coming from in terms of look I want to leave something behind. I'm tired of wasting my life. I get that. I, I don't know what age it was when I hit. I was probably around 40 where I just I started getting panicky if I found myself in conversations, Dave, with people who I didn't want to be talking to. It was like, this is actually my only fucking time that I get. And I'm wasting it talking to this lad or this one about something stupid. So I, I can I've 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 an awful lot of sympathy with his perspective. You know, he's going to. I have a limited amount of time left, you know, mm. and I want to do something with it, you know. Um, I can't remember exactly how he phrases it, but basically it's, it's that kind of, he, he says he, he's a tremendous sense of time slipping away. Yeah. And I think like, we can all get that, right? We, we all get that. It's a real kind of existential kind of mortality thing that we all feel. So he's relatable in that regard. As you say, um, uh, uh, Barry Kilgan's character is massively relatable because the guy is, He's, he's, he's abused. He's, he's in an abusive home. He's got a tyrant of a father who abuses yeah. him in, 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 in hideous ways. The sister is frustrated by the emptiness of her life. But Colin's Far- Colin Farrell's character, who holds it all together, he's the most fascinating because like you say, his horizons, his expectations of life are so small that he gets obsessed with the notion of being good at chatting. <laughs> Which I yeah. love. I absolutely love it. That's how he spends his day chatting in the pub and good chatting and bad chatting and, and, and pointless chatting and all the different categories of chatting because there is nothing else. That's, that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I just, that's why I, I don't understand how anyone can't just love this because it's just, it's so, so relatable, I think, for everyone in whatever stage of life you're at. That's the thing. And, you know, you look at those four main characters and you can, there's obviously great differences between them, but there's also a lot of similarities between them. And, you know, you can put any two of them together and there's a, an interesting dynamic and relationship. Like if you take Brendan Gleeson's character and Kerry Condon's character, Kerry Condon is, is looking at Brendan Gleeson and thinking, I don't want to be like you in, 
20 years time. I don't want to be full of this despair, worrying about time slipping away. I want more. I'm young enough. I can go and find more. Gleason, you can tell, has those regrets about not having left to find more. Colin Farrell doesn't care because he just wants to be good at chatting and he, he wants, <laughs> wants everybody to just be happy and he wants to be the one that brings that sort of happiness to the group. And then, like I say with Barry Keoghan, it's, it's this, this hope that he has, this, this childish innocence. And because obviously he, the character is, I don't know if, if the, what, what, you know, educationally challenged maybe he, he, it's, it's a childish innocence that a kid his age would be too old to have. But because he's a little bit simple, he still has that. But something that you might find in more of a kind of an innocence, a wonderment that you might find in more of a, you know, an eight or 12 year old. But then he, su- a- he, he sums up situations better than anybody. Like, for yeah. example, when, when, um, he's having a frustration chat, a frustrating chat with, um, with Colin Farrell's character, they're sitting there drinking the putching and, uh, he gets, uh, Dominic gets pissed off, uh, that, oh, he's going on about Colin again, you know, cause he, he's, he's seeing the chance for him to be the new buddy, the right? new best friend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he gets pissed off and he just gets up and he goes, you know, uh, he didn't look like he, he, he was pissed off tonight. He looked as if he had a weight lifted from his shoulders. And that's like, Oh shit, that's cutting. That's insightful, you know, and you get the impression in an awful lot of things that he says. It's like I said, it's like, like, like the fool in there. He's like, yeah, he apparently talking nonsense, but actually he sees stuff probably more clearly than anybody. And because certainly, he takes a, a more simplified view of things. He's not yeah. looking for, he's not looking for a bigger picture. He's he's looking at the broad strokes of the situation. And the broad strokes were Brendan Gleeson was having a lot more fun that night without having Colin Farrell sat beside him talking about whatever he found in his. His, his horse is shit. <laughs> exactly. And I, love, I, I love that he can come in. Like that's the, the, the liberty of having a character like Dominic. He can come in and he goes, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he says, Oh yeah. Is, is, is there any women in? There is women in. Oh, there is women and good ones too. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Just, just this simple observation that you can't say that shit. And yet he can say that. Um, and, I, 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 I think it's, it's absolutely masterful from, I know you're going to want to talk about the main characters and we should come back to them and, and some other bits and bobs you want to chat about. But just in case we lose track of it, I really wanted to get your take on what do you think of the cast of characters around them? Oh, it's brilliant. It's so, genius, Trev. So you've got, you've got the two lads from an, an old Irish c- comedian double act called Dunbelievables. Um, they both play well, Pat Short's the, the publican and, 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 and John Kenny's a, a sort of a, a barfly. Um, he's in it to a lesser extent. You've got another lad who's playing the priest who's been in umpteen things. And for some reason, I can't think of his name at the moment. You've got, um, the lad, Gary Lydon playing the guard who just always plays these reprehensible lads mm. in like dramas and plays. And he's, he's remarkably good at it. Um, and then, the one question I have for you coming out of this as well is, first of all, yeah, tell me what you think of them, because I'm really fascinated to get your take on that. 
what what or who the fuck is Mrs. McCormick? Like, what what's she meant to be? Is she meant to be like a a, a wise peg Sayers? Is she a witch? Is she a banshee herself? What is she? Because she seems to have this sort of ability to just pop up and look <laughs> ominous and be scary and bring misery to to all yes. circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's I kind of viewed her as as almost as death. Yeah, that's where. Yeah. When 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 she's talking, like Carrie Condon's character has her over because she couldn't avoid her. And when she's talking to her, you can almost see any joy kind of draining out of her. And she sends Colin Farrell's character away. Go to the pub. Go to the pub. Get away from her. Go to the pub. Trying to save his, I suppose, simple nature from being dragged down by this joyless presence who's in the room. You know, you see her at the end watching over. Like, she's the one that, that gives the message to Colin Farrell when he can't hide from her. Yeah. And that message is what we think will be one thing and then turns out to be something else. But then at the end, she's the one standing watching or sitting watching the two of them from the distance. And that's kind of, I, I, I kind of viewed her as, as, as death you know she's there lurking in the background all the time it's 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 sheila flitton is the actress who plays her and she she's brilliant in the role yeah absolutely brilliantly played there's something about the way that she's kind of doing this thousand yard stare as well and she's the little Dugene pipe like Peg Sayers and the, the yeah. wraparound shawl and stuff and she looks like every bit the classic Aran Islands photograph of the Aran Island old lady that you've seen but there's so much more going on there in terms of Irish mythology as well like and 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 her role in it like again does she represent in some way does she represent the country Ireland's always been represented as 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 either um beautiful women or 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 old crones as well depending on what the take or the status of the country was at a given time you know it's it, it she it, she's a really interesting character but well, the, the mythology is that that when you hear the wail of the banshee that someone will die Exactly that, right. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's when you see her, you start to expect that someone will die. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think that she is, is that banshee character. I mean, you mentioned Gary Lydon, like you said, every time he's in something, you just, you'd love to grab a hold of him and punch him in the face. Yeah. Um, Short <laughs> very- and Kenny are, there's, there's an, a natural comedic chemistry that those two have. That's obviously been developed and forged over a 25 year career of working together. When they, when they released Unbelievables, the first show of it, it, it was, it was a real landmark moment in Irish, in our Irish comedy because it was a duo. Prior to that, we'd obviously had Brendan Grace and Brendan O'Carroll, but these were individual comedians. These were a duo and they were doing skits and they were, you know, performing sketches and it was just, there was an interactive nature to what they did, you know, bringing members of the audience into it. And they, they were very groundbreaking in terms of what they did, not just in Irish comedy, but I think in, in global comedy. And unlike the two lads you mentioned as well, man, they spoke to rural Ireland. They yeah. spoke to, they spoke to cultures like us, you know, they, That's exactly they, it. they, they, they had the, the GAA coach. They had the, the local lad in the shop. They had fellas we could all relate the to. School teacher. Yeah, 
You the know, school we, teacher was was a genius character. But the the one that really stood out to me is Breedly knocked on as the postmistress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is just that is the epitome of the nosy old Irish woman who needs to know absolutely everything that's going on. And it's completely unacceptable for her for you to come to her for any other reason and not have news. And if your news isn't good enough, you're told that's shite news. That's shite news. That's shite news. <laughs> news news is a currency. Like you've done a stand yeah. at some stage in the West. And like I, I as you know, I spend a lot of time in Ackle and it, it, that's basically the currency. You you go into a house and you tell everybody what you saw on the way over, who you saw on the way over, uh, what they said to you, uh, where they're going, where they have been, who they're with, that, who they're with. That kind of that's currency. Mm. That is that is literal currency because of that thing that we're speaking about, about the 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 fact that fuck all happens in these places. And so it, again, to capture that so brilliantly, and like you're right, that's so funny the way she's aggressive with it. Oh yeah, you're coming in here. You have no news. In other words, you don't. And, you haven't, and tell you haven't him everybody else he has no news. <laughs> he's he's no news. He's shite news. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's. 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 It is. It's such an accurate representation. And the funny thing is, if you're from the part of the country that we're from, from the east, from you know the the surrounds of Dublin, that type of gossipy nature would get you in trouble. But over there, as you said, it's a currency. Yeah. And having that type of, of gossip can can raise your status. The, over there, everybody has, when you go to, and don't take my word for this, make a point of checking the next time, if you're listening to this podcast, next time you go into a house in Galway or Mayo, if they are in any way rural, you go and have a look and there will be a pair of binoculars in the window. There just will be or a telescope of some sort because people are always watching what's going on, constantly watching what's going on. They want to know the news. You know, oh, yeah. it's I mean, remarkable. Even like I live in Cavan now, which is, you know, not not too far from where we're from, but it's it's a different world up here than it is at home. And I remember when we first moved up here. You go into the local petrol station, which is a couple of miles down the road, and you don't leave without them knowing everything about you, (laughs) who you are, where you're from, where you live, what you do. Everybody wants to know. And then from one person finding out, all of a sudden, everybody now knows who you are. And it's like a rite of passage. It's like, it's like an acceptance. If, if the news has gone around that you're, you know, you're living in a certain place or you do a certain thing and, and perhaps whatever it is you do might be helpful to other local people. You'll actually start to get people just randomly arriving at your front door, which is what has happened to me in the past, where random people will turn up at the front door. You do such and such, don't you? I do a bit of that. Yeah. Well, I have this yoke here and. <laughs> All of a sudden, you have a friend for life. You might not want yeah. the friend, but you have a friend for life. And it, it's, it's, it's magnified even or amplified even more over there. But despite yeah, the fact, just, despite the fact that you are what is termed in Ireland a blow in, 
And again, I I don't know if this is peculiar to Ireland, but like the idea of blowing is someone just in case you're listening, you don't know what someone who's new to the area and, and, People can be a blow in for up to 15 to 20 years, an entire generation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the thing about being on in a sharing, as they call it in the film, uh, y- there's no blow ins. Nobody fucking chooses to go and live on that island. They're there and their family has been there for ages. And all that happens is people leave it. So that's what, that's why, uh, Farrell's character is so interesting. Cause like you say, he's just, He's of the place. He is the place. He's in the, in that like incredibly slow pace of life. He has no expectations beyond that. And he's, as he says, and this is what's so, so heartbreaking about the central relationship. He's a happy lad and he's mm. genuinely heartbroken that his best pal doesn't want to be friends anymore. I, I wonder going back to the two boys, um, short and, and Kenny, doesn't that whole, are ye rowing? Were ye rowing? Does that really sound like a unbelievable sketch? Do you think? Oh yeah. Maybe, I wonder did that come from the two boys improvising a bit, and then they said, "Oh, this is great," and, and they extended it out because it's it's the dominant part of that opening section of the film, and it's it's really funny. It is, and it, it's been said in the past that you know from from other actors that have worked with McDonough that he he will give you freedom to improvise and, yeah. and come up with things on the spot and. Especially when they are somebody with, with more comedic chops, say, than him. But I mean, the, the, the way that, that kind of sets the tone. Are you around? I don't think we're around. Are you, are you sure now? Like, we, we don't ever find out. Like, there's no real explanation as to why they'd be around other than your chat is shite. Like, you're, you're boring. Yeah. Or, or the inevitable. Again, and very Irish thing, the inevitable, one of them got drunk and said something, and the other lad took yeah. it badly. And, 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 and there's that paranoia that all of us as Irish lads can relate to. Uh, well, all of us that are Irish lads that, 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 that like a pint. Oh, the fuck, did I say, oh shit, did I say something? Cause your man's acting weird today. And we can all relate to that. And the opening goings of the film, you think maybe it's just something as simple as that. But no, I mean, I don't know where you want to go in terms of not being too spoilerish with it, with a show like this, Dave, but. I mean, it's kind of hard to avoid the elephant in the room, which is the consequences of, 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 uh, Brendan's sort of arrangement, uh, that he makes, which is basically leave me alone or else. Mm. And the fact that he follows through on that or else. And again, I don't know how much of this you want to give away. It becomes, this is where we get into pure McDonough territory because it, it, it it's beyond violent. It's yes. dark as hell. It's, gruesome it's 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 far more violent than a lad taking a machine gun and an ammo belt and wrapping it around him and going through the jungle shooting lads this is far far more violent this is an act of you know just the worst kind of 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 mutilation self-mutilation as it turns out and you're like holy shit what even is his logic here and i found myself still asking that question at the end and the only thing I could come up with was, is it something along the lines of, you know, you read poets like, uh, you know, you really, like people who dealt very with serious depression, like Sylvia Plath, and an awful lot of the poetry is kind of along the lines of, you know, I'd rather be feeling something than nothing. Nothing, yeah. I wonder is is that where it, where it's going? Because Jesus, I mean, what a what a choice to make, especially for a musician, right? 
Yeah, and it's also that that sort of you know he he he's writing that that tune, and he talks about you know I, I wrote the first part of this this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as it goes on, you realise this is the last song that he's going to be able to to write and play. And there's there's that aspect of it as well, like where you're 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 seeing like he he as he said he he can feel himself like his life slipping away. He's not sick, but he is old. He's he he's old for that time. He's aging at that time. And you, what age would you say Brendan Gleeson's character is in this film? Would he be sixty? I'd say he's meant to be around that kind of age. Yeah, yeah. So just take this into account, right? Based on Inishmore, which is the largest of the Aran Islands, in 1926, Inishmore had 1,363 people. 50 years previously, which would be during his lifetime, it had nearly 2,000 people. So he's seen like a 50% decline in the population in his life. Yeah. And I think it's also... It, it's telling this tale as well of this slow decline of, of a way of life and the ever change, you know, this, this, this want for more, which is, is what we were talking about with, with why maybe some people didn't, didn't vibe with the film. The film is telling you this story about how people have a want for more. Kerry Condon's character wanting more, Brendan Gleeson's character wanting more. 700 people had died or left the island in 50 years. Consider now there's probably about, I don't know, 700 people on Inishmore. So again, it's another 50% decline. Now that's in a hundred years, but you know, it is, it is a way of life that is, is disappearing before our very, very eyes. There you go. It's it's dying. And and yeah. is is that what the Banshee Howl is about? That this that you're looking at a community that is literally it's dying the de- on its arse. The death yeah. of a community, rather yeah. than the death of an individual, it's the death of a community. Yeah. It's it's Brendan Gleeson's character accepting that he's entering the final phase of his life or whatever, and then it's Barry Keoghan's character who should be, I suppose, the future of the island. You know, his generation, but how many others of his generation did we see on the island? Yeah. Do you know? It, yeah. It's, it's, it's about a bleak future, not just for any one individual, but for a community. And, you know, with Kerry Condon wanting to leave, not wanting to see that happen, that's part of, I think, why she wants to go. It's why she wants to get Colin Farrell's character to go with her, get away from it. That, that is, that's over. That's dying. Let's go and prosper somewhere else. In the same way many people did in Ireland 60, 70 years prior to this in moving to England or moving to America. This was their version of, of us moving to the UK or to America. They're moving from the island to the mainland. And yeah. it would, it would be as big a culture shock for them to move from Inishiran to Galway as it would be for you or me to move from Navan to London or New York or wherever. 
Yeah, and it's yeah, it's 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 as a, as an Irish bloke as well, isn't it very? Isn't it very heartening to see a presentation of that era, like you say? Um, the, there's the looming violence in the background, and and that as we review history, the pointlessness of that violence, really, you know, the the families blowing each other up, part of our history that is so dark, and that's just there, literally booming away on the mainland just across the water. But isn't it really heartening to see actually a presentation of that era where, despite the fact that you can see in the costumes and the standards of the houses and the uh, general standard of living and all that, there's no, it doesn't speak down. There's no stage Irish nonsense. There's no like lads reeling around drunk and looking like uh, punch cartoons, like sort of ape men. It's, these are, ordinary people having the same emotions as everybody else and getting on and dealing with the same massive themes as everyone else with a war on their doorstep and 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 their own personal um demons to deal with and it it's not condescending i suppose is what i'm trying to say dave Mm. which which is what i loved about it yeah yeah it's it's not at all it's it's an honest description of of what it is and even in that that conversation you referenced earlier between um Farrell's character and Gleason's character like that is very much a, a very honest view of it like god help them like you know was, wasn't the, one of the key lines was wasn't it just easier when we were fighting the english and we just knew who we didn't like yeah do you know yeah um, yeah so on McDonough, this is his fourth film. In Bruges is is a phenomenally good film. Seven Psychopaths is is good but odd. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is is genuinely one of the best films I think of the last thirty years. I think it's absolutely phenomenal, and I think yeah. this is excellent. And I think because he only does a film every four or five years, he's very selective with what he what he does and what he's involved in. He he was involved in The Guard as well, which is another brilliant Brendan Gleason film. I I think he's he's setting himself up well to have a very long distinct he's already a very distinguished career, but a very long career where his films will be really anticipated. And I think when you look at the track record of, of actors and actresses who get nominated out of his work, I think he's going to have the, the very best of the best lining up to work with him on anything he wants to do from here on out. I think you're right. He's compared to the young man as well. He's in very early 50s. And mm. the, the first um, a McDonough film that I saw was was his short film, um, Six, Six Years, years Old, which I, which, which I, absolutely, I actually saw totally coincidentally. Uh, about a fortnight ago again and it is mental and it's brendan gleason and it's it it, it was it won a, an academy award this this movie yes, came out in film, two, yeah. yeah uh 2006 i think is when it got it but it's a mad little story uh where you've got like a, a dominic style character uh played by rory conroy on a on, on a train interacting with, with gleason who's recently bereaved and a couple who are recently bereaved and the, it, it's wild. It's pure McDonough in terms of the darkness of the, 
the humor, the awkwardness of it, um, the violence that will inevitably erupt in any McDonough film or play. Um, and I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a through line there from all, in all of his stuff. It worries me a little bit that some people, I, I think in Bruges took a long time for it to sit with people and look yes. back fondly on it. I think the same will happen with this film. I, I really do. I think people, I don't know what they were expecting. Like, I, I don't know what they were expecting, but I think maybe if they sit down and watch it at a more relaxed pace or maybe not in the cinema or not having these expectations, I don't, I don't know what their expectations were. Maybe it was because it was pitched in a very Hollywood-esque way, in a way that, say, in Bruges wasn't. Um, but he does seem to be pretty anointed, doesn't he, uh, McDonough? You know, I mean, that you, you mentioned Seven Psychopaths. That's a big old production, and he's working yeah. with Chris Chris Walkins in there, who, you know, um, people will have heard me talking about on, on, on shows recently, apparently quite a scary man in real life. Um, but he does seem to be quite the anointed one, and he seems to have chosen this particular cast and this location and to... To, to, to very much do his style of thing. In other words, this is, like I said, this is one of his plays on the big screen. And that's, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I, I hope there's more of that. That's the thing. If, if you take this almost more as a, as a play on, on screen, it is, it is easier to digest it as a film. It's easier to accept that there's not going to be a big spectacular scene. There's not going to be a big reveal. There's, there's no smoking gun in this film. You just, you have to accept the story for what it is and you have to pay attention to the story. And I do wonder if that's a factor as well. The fact that people might maybe don't lock in on the, on the story it's telling you from the first scene onwards. Yeah, I think there's probably a temptation for some people to see it as silly and it's actually anything but. Mm. And I think I think you could read any of the plays and see them, dismiss them as sort of trifling or silly. But again, you'd be missing a big trick there if that was where you went with it. I, mean, I, I, I don't know if you want to, just before the hour is up, talk a little bit about the two main men because I think as Porig or Suluan, I think Colin Farrell is fantastic in this. Gleason's always fantastic. You, you yeah. come to expect that. Kyogen is going to get a lot of plaudits because that is that is an outrageously good performance, and Kerry Condon's very good. All the rest of them, but just to get your take on 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 Colin Farrell, I, I think he's I think he is massively underrated. Now he has done films where he's maybe uh what did you say about Jeff Hendrick as a footballer by the numbers? You yeah. Know? Where he's just kind of phoning in a little bit, not including phone booth, but where he's just kind of, you know, he did that total recall, that kind of Arnie remake, and it's, it's fine. Stuff like that is fine. But he's actually in one of my favorite films of all time. And the thing that connects it, actually, the opening of this film, it sounds exactly like the choir, the choir uh, or vocal vocalists that Terry Malick uses in his films, because there's um, the new world is a Malick movie starring Colin Farrell, which is right up there in my top five films of all time. I absolutely love it. I think he's fantastic in it. Uh, Christian Bale's great in it as well. But I guess what I'm trying to say is this fella has actually the capacity to put in a performance that is mightily affecting. Mm. Like he's, he's not just this, uh, good looking sort of, yeah, he was in SWAT. He can do that kind of shit. Like, for example, I think, Miami Vice, where he is kind of falling apart as a human, 
I think he's brilliant in that. I, I actually, well, I, I love it. It's Michael Mann. What's, what's not to like about a Michael Mann film? But I think that's massively underrated film. I think he's brilliant in it. So that's kind of why I wanted to get your take. Do you, would you agree on that? Or do you, do you see him as more of a, like I say, by the numbers kind of a, a class? No, I think, I think he got painted into a, a by the numbers type of, you know, getting cast type into certain roles at a certain point in his career. You know, early on he does, I suppose Tigerland is his first kind of real breakout film. And then he does Minority Report, Phone Booth, The Recruit, Daredevil, SWAT. They're all, there's a similarity in the character he plays in all of them. He does Intermission, which is a, I suppose a cult classic Irish film in many ways. And then he, he goes in a really different direction. He does Alexander, which a lot of people hate. He does The New World. Like, he's working with Oliver Stone and Terrence Malick there. He's yeah. Get, he's, he, you know, he, he's, at this point in his career, he's been cast by Joel Schumacher for Tigerland, Spielberg for Minority Report, Stone, Malick, and then Michael Mann. So, that is, like, that is an acknowledgement that this guy can act. If right you're, there. If you're early in your career, like, he's, he's four years into his career at this point. Sorry, he's six years in by the time he does from, from Tigerland to Miami Vice is six years. But if those type of directors are casting you when there are a litany of others they could go with, I, I really do think it speaks to the caliber of him as an actor. And you mentioned the, the fact that his personal life fell apart and he's, look, the, it happens to people from smaller countries like ours where when you go from having very little to having absolutely anything you want on demand 24 seven, you can get a little bit caught up in it and you can lose the run of yourself. And if we look at probably our most famous export in recent years is Colin Farrell, who went from being on the dole to having hundreds of million and turned into a complete and utter twat. And lives to excess where if he took a drug test right now, despite being a professional fighter, it would probably blow up. I, I, I think you meant to say a certain MMA star, but you did actually say Colin Farrell. I did. Sorry. I meant to say <laughs> Colin McGregor. I meant to say McGregor. Like <clears throat> McGregor, McGregor had nothing and now he is everything and he's a twat. Farrell had little, then he had everything and he became a twat by his own admittance. He became a twat. And there was a little period of time where nobody really wanted to work with him. And he talks about when Martin McDonough rings him for In Bruges. And he said to him, you don't want me in this film. Give it to somebody else. But McDonough's stubbornness and insistence on casting him really did in many ways save his career. And it also put him in close proximity with Brendan Gleeson. And this is where their relationship began. And Gleeson has, again, by Farrell's own admission, been like a father figure to him. Someone that he's been able to reach out to for advice over and over again. And not just advice in terms of, you know, acting, but in terms of life and how to live a life that's above and beyond anything you maybe ever expected to have. 
Yeah, Brendan's two young lads have careers in the mm. same in the same biz. Obviously, Donald's a bit of a superstar yeah. by comparison with the other fella. But like the other kid was in, I can't think of it, is it Rory? He was in um in Love Hate and yeah. a big part he's very of that. Good. And he's very good. But to 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 pivot to Brendan Gleeson, I mean what what just, what just before you do, the one thing I will say on Farrell as well is I think he's become an awful lot more comfortable in his own skin in yeah, recent years. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think back to when he was first coming on the scene and whenever he was doing an interview, he was putting on a very he was putting on a very inner city working class Dublin accent. Yeah. That that is not his own. Yeah, 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 because he's not from inner city working class Dublin. He's no, he's just knock. He's a soft boy, so South Dubliner. That's what he, he is. He's from a posh part of Dublin. Yeah, and <laughs> he didn't have that accent. And now you hear him speak, and he speaks in his own voice. Yeah, and because he's accepted who he is, I think he's become a lot more comfortable and a lot more likable, and it certainly helped revitalize his career. As for Brendan Gleeson. I I am firmly of the belief that this is the the best actor this island has ever produced. Yeah, I can't can't argue with that. I mean, I, I, I think he's unbelievable. Going all the way back to the field, all the way through to you know the smaller roles in the likes of Far and Far and Away, Into the West, Braveheart. He's brilliant, at Braveheart. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's that's an incredible turn in Braveheart. Like he 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 actually carries the. He carries a huge amounts of, of mm. pathos and comedy in that. That's a wonderful performance. He's brilliant in Michael Collins. Yeah, he's brilliant uh, in Michael Collins. He's incredible as the general, Martin Cahill. Incredible as the general. He's brilliant in Lake Placid, which yeah. is a, a much underrated movie. It's fantastic. It's like it's like a, 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 a an A-list B-movie. I absolutely love it. If you haven't seen it, go and watch Lake yeah, Placid. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a film with, you know, with big name characters and a big name yeah. actors in it with him. And he, he is, he steals the show for me and on and on through a career that is now, you know, 35 years in the making. Like this wasn't someone who got started early. Brendan Gleeson didn't really get his break till he was 32. He wasn't one of these stars at 1920. He had to work for it. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a Hollywood face. No, and like an awful lot of people, like Gabriel Byrne included, uh, and myself, he's, he was a teacher and yeah. decided to give the acting a go, which I, I actually had that phase as well and then became a dad. And that just, that was the end of that. But that's what, that's, that was his route. Like he has, he has a, he, he had a life before the, the madness that is, you know, embracing standing in front of a camera and mugging for it. But like you say, everything he does, he does so well. I mean, I can't, I, I'm struggling to think of him being crap in anything. You know what I mean? Movies like Calvary, Irish movies like that, movies like, um, you know, uh, uh, the six shooter that I mentioned before. And then he can do, he can do epics like Troy. He can be really good in something like Gangs in New York. Yeah, like Mission Impossible. He's in yeah. there too. And, and at least, uh, he's, he's in, the, he could be in two of them, but he's definitely one of them. I, I just, uh, the range is remarkable because, as you say, he doesn't have a face for a leading man stuff, but he seems to carry massive parts, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Every time. And he, and he, the thing is as well, he's so active. Like every single year, there's two or three or four yeah. films. Yeah. He's working all the time and he's improving all the time. And, you know, like you said, that 
it's such a wide range of things from from Braveheart to to Troy to the General to Mission Impossible to Harry Potter and on and on and on. These massive budget films and then these smaller budget type of things like The Guard or um, Perrier's Bounty. You know, he, he can literally, he's so malleable. He can just fit into whatever's needed and, and he can be the one that kind of drives the film or he can be it to, to, to quote Dan Kennett, he can play the piano or he can carry the piano, depending on what you need him to do in any <laughs> given role. He can be the lead guy, or he's an incredible background actor yeah. who doesn't steal focus, but, you know, almost gleans focus. He, he's just, he is, he's, he's a phenomenally good actor. And the fact that, you know, he's, he's now made it really big in America off the back of Mr. Mercedes. He played Donald Trump in the Comey rule, which was a, very interesting miniseries if anybody hasn't seen it. And now he's he's doing State of the Union, which is a, a comedy. Like, he, he can fit across all different genres as well, which is, I think that in itself is, is incredibly impressive. I think the first time I saw him was all the way back in 1991 in a TV uh, film called The Treaty, in which he played Michael Collins. And to be fair to Brendan, he was a lot less corpulent back then and sort of carried the part pretty well I thought was was quite the presence in it you know um and then you see him turning up in slightly comedic little bit parts in the snapper and stuff like that and telly and then you know then the film the film uh, things takes off um I'm really looking forward to seeing this thing the Comey rule that's I, I hadn't heard of it till you just mentioned it there that sounds very interesting yeah, it's good. It's definitely well worth the watch. If you haven't seen Mr. Mercedes, it's it's also very, very good. It's based on a trilogy of novels by Stephen King, and they're they're different to the normal Stephen King type of thing. They're about a you know a detective, and um, Jesus, were, that's a that's a multiple series thing. There's thirty episodes of that. Yeah, thirty episodes. Wow, it's, it's, okay. it's really good, and Gleason Gleason is excellent throughout. So it's it's also one that's well worth well worth a watch. And do we see Kyogen getting leading roles in the next year or two on the back I of this? I think I, like I remember watching him in Love Hate and thinking what wholly unlikable young man he seemed like. Mm. And, and and you just look at his career and he does he does Rebellion, which is a, a, it's a good mini series about the the Irish Revolution. He does Chernobyl, which he's brilliant in. Um, he's doing Top Boy now. He's been cast in Masters of the Air, which is, I believe, like the next iteration of Band of Brothers in the Pacific. It's from the same, uh, the same people. It's from Spielberg. It's from, um, Tom Hanks. So it's, it's looking like a, a massive thing and he's been cast in it. And then, you know, film wise, he's getting so much work. He's the Joker. He's been in the Eternals. He's, he's so he's doing the kind of the big budget stuff. Yeah, and then he's able to turn around and do something like Banshees. It just shows a great versatility. And did I, you, you see, love did to you, see it because because the you, life that that kid has had for him to have had this life and and come out the far side when it would have been very easy for him at any point to have given up. Yeah, and just excel the way he has. It it's wonderful to see. 
Well, I'd I'd like to see him getting kind of those more. I, I don't. I I I have no concept of what uh, he's going to be doing or has done in uh, Eternals. I saw his role in Bat in the Batman. It's 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 a small role. Again, Green Knight. I don't know. Calm with horses. I haven't seen either or the Chernobyl series. There's a lot of stuff I need to get. I obviously need to get under my belt. What I did see, and this is what I have a little bit of a worry. Um, is there's a through line here. I don't know if you saw the killing of a sacred deer that he did with Colin Farrell, um, uh, back in oh, 16 or 17. And it's by a, a, a Greek lad called Yorgos Lantimos. And it's very much an acquired taste as are all of his films, I think. But he's another very odd, troubled, quirky character. Um, and the performance, that's a whole, that whole film, I, I still don't know, I haven't seen it twice, how it sits with me. But I would, I wouldn't like him just because he has a certain look to get pinned down into just those type of roles. Mm. Cause, cause clearly he does it brilliantly. Like, um, but it has a shelf life. He does it that. It does, man. It does. And, 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 and I, I would imagine like you, there's a lot more to him than that, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. I, I do think so. Um, I, I think he's, I think he's got huge potential. I think he's very grounded. I think whenever you see him interviewed, he's, he's very humble and very open about his past. And he's very much, you know, reminded of where he came from. He's, he hasn't forgotten, you know, what he's been through. I think, I think that will help. I think the fact that he's recently had a, a son will also kind of, he'll want to give that kid the best life possible. So I think it'll keep him on the right path and I think he'll make good decisions. And I, I think if he, if he wins the Academy award, I mean, there's a certain gravitas that will come with that and it will line. The yeah. So he needs yeah. to be well advised in terms of, because people will start to throw projects at him. Yeah. And he'll need to be very careful in terms of what he picks. Um, I think the last person then to speak about is Kerry Condon, who is excellent in this film um as she was in three billboards the last time she worked with mcdonough and she's had a, had a strange sort of career as well in terms of the different things she's done she first became known i suppose uh, she was in angela's ashes but the first time she really became known was when she was in rome and she played octavia yes and then off the back of that, she, you know, has done a lot of TV work. She's had a, she had a long-term recur, recurring role in Better Call Saul. She's had a recurring role in Ray Donovan. She's in the, she's in the Ray Donovan movie. Um, she's lined up to be in, in Saints and Sinners, which is the next sort of big Irish film on the way. Uh, Kieran Hines, Jack Gleason and herself with Liam Neeson in the lead role. And it's, it's set to be very good, but. Her career is unusual in that she she mostly made her career away from Ireland and is now kind of coming back to a more, you know, to doing more Irish projects, which is nice to see. But she has established herself really well. And uh, she's excellent in this, uh, like I said, as, as she was in Three Billboards, as she was in Dreamland as well, which is another very good film. Most, but, most, most people will know her, actually. Most people listening to this will know her uh, as... The voice uh, of Friday. Oh, 
course. Yeah. The so, so from that mar- Marvel thing, like when you just just rack up and stack up all that incredibly high level TV work, uh, those movies that you mentioned, like between Better Call Saul and Ray Donovan, two top end TV shows, possibly top ten for an awful lot of people. Um, and 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 the fact that she she has three billboards under her belt as well, and and various other um uh, film outings, and now this one, I I think again you could see you could see her having a real purple mm. patch now in terms of offers and getting and hopefully again like that it'll be the right kind of stuff for her because she's clearly excellent um yeah. I, I, I i i it was rome that i first saw her in and then like you say one show after another and you just go you don't get recurring roles in tv unless you're really good yeah you just don't yeah that's it and and it's also it, you don't get them unless you're really good and you get on well with people because yeah. it's it's very easy to write a recurring star or recurring character out of a TV show if the actor or actress is a, a little bit of an arsehole that, you know, maybe thinks they're worthy of a, of a bigger position. So the fact that she's able to, you know, have a recurring role in Better Call Saul for seven years speaks well to her personality as well. So I, I think I think the four of them off the back of this will will, you know, will all come out very, very well. I think obviously Farrell's performance is, is exceptional. Gleason, there's there's no bad Brendan Gleason performance, but the two kind of less known would be Kerry Condon and Barry Kogan. And this could be a real springboard for them to go on to, you know, to even greater heights. They've already had great careers, but they're they're two people that are very much early in their in the careers, especially Kogan, who's only thirty. I mean, yeah, he's it, got it, so much runway ahead of him. You're right. They're all at different stages. Like Kyogen's 30. She's 40. Farrell's probably 50-ish, kicking the arse out of 50. Gleason's probably 60-odd. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Mm. They're all at these different stages. But well, actually, Brandon's probably a bit more than 60. Brandon odd. is 67. Yeah, I was going to say. He could be worrying 70. Yeah, there you go. Like, I mean, that's remarkable. And there... But do you know what I really like, and it ties it together nicely, is, you know, she started, uh, I think her first break was in, in the Martin McDonough play, uh, in the RSC. He's uh, right, the Cripple of Finnish Man. Yeah, uh, Lieutenant Finnish Moore was the first one, and then she's in Cripple of Finnish Man as well, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, you're right, you're so, right. So they, they, they go and they, they, like, she has that history, and that's, I, I, I love that, I love that full circle thing, mm. and there they are all these years later, like, uh, 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 in a, in a in a in a movie being talked about by a pair of uh, lunatics from Navin, you gotta love that. But you know what I love as well is that there's a real like we we we've talked about the relationship between Farrell and Gleason, and and they've talked about it about you know the the the, the bond that they've built. But I don't know if you saw uh, Farrell's acceptance speech. Um, I did. It was great. And he and he and and there's a real there's a real chemistry with him and Kyogen as well. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's a wonderful thing where you've got Gleason as this older sage who's passed on this wisdom to Farrell, who's now yeah. entering that kind of stage of his life where he's able to appreciate things a lot more and pass on a lot of that to Kyogen, and then he can carry it for the next generation. And they all all four of them just seem to have this great chemistry away from the screen, away from you know the cameras. Yeah, it does seem like there was a real friendship and bond built between the four of them, which is a great thing to see because you do often hear about, 
you know, a, a tense nature on set and, and things like that. But this kind of film, and it's probably a lot to do with the atmosphere that McDonough creates as well. He's meant to be fantastic to work with is that, you know, when, when the cast and the crew are getting on well behind the scenes, it does translate to the, the finished product. You know, I'm there's, a, there's I, a real I, natural feel to yeah, the relationships it, it, on screen. That's exactly it. There's that natural flow to the, to the, semi-improvisational scenes and all the rest of it they just the raising of an eyebrow or whatever it's, there's a shorthand between all of these people and listen as someone who flew around on the per, uh, peripheries of the of the irish film industry for uh, a period of time let's say uh, when i was a much younger man i i know of fellas that you will know who never made it to the level of colin farrell or brendan gleason who were absolute terrors on a set horrible individuals to work with completely unjustifiably so in terms of mm. the level of their talent or whatever. But I will say there's a pal of mine who's uh who was working as a, a first AD back in the day and he had nothing but positive things to say about both Gleason and Farrell. Just said they were just nice lads. And yeah. you know, I know there's something heartening about that and it kind of fits in with the overall theme. That's exactly it. And and I think the same you know, it's it's funny because when you think of Brendan Gleeson and you imagine what he might be like and you think of what the, the perception of Farrell used to be, you can kind of get a, a similarity to, to the relationship in this film between their characters where you'd imagine that Gleeson might have found Farrell a little bit insufferable, not not out of boredom, but just out of like, you're a bit of an arsehole. You, you've become a bit of a twat here. And the same thing with, with Farrell now and what we know of him now and say Barry Keoghan based on the perception of him as a younger kind of an idiot. Yeah. And again, that's sort of the, you know, the, the relationship that they have. It, it's it, I, the film itself, I think is brilliant. It, it weaves a number of stories and, and, I, I think when you look at the, the people that, that star in this film and you see the talent and, and the, the track records of each and every one of them and of McDonough. And then, like we mentioned, those kind of peripheral characters like, like Pat Short and, and John Kenny's characters, like it, it all just comes together and it, it does, it makes what is without question one of the best films of the last few years and, and certainly one of the best Irish films of the last 20 years. Yeah. Don't let people put you off with the negative reviews. Go and have a look at it. Check it mm. out yourself. I think it's, it's, it's something that it does, it does reward you and it'll reward perhaps a second viewing even more. Um, so I'd say absolutely, uh, eight thumbs up for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. We will leave it there and, uh, we'll be back in a week or two. And myself and Trevor are definitely going to do something else. We're going to have a look at maybe some of the, uh, some of the more in the name of the father type of Irish films set around the troubles and different things. And we'll probably just, you know, give out a bit of English people for an hour. So maybe not, maybe not one for English folk to listen to, but it should be fun anyway. So Trev, thanks a million as always. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.